Have you ever had to train a dog? Well, chances are, if you are listening to my voice now, you've done it. Hi, I'm James Jacobson, and today we are talking with the Dog Whisperer, and it's not Caesar Milan. This is the original Dog Whisperer. His name is Paul Owens, and he has a fascinating story. He has been training dogs for over 45 years, and he used to do it in what is sort of the old school method of training. It's called force training, and that has been used on training dogs for well over a century. But in the mid-1980s, Paul had a giant epiphany, a shift that you will hear about in our conversation today. And he realized the thing that he had been doing for so long just wasn't right. It just didn't feel right anymore. And he went on a three-year journey to relearn everything he knew about training dogs and basically came up with a force-free approach. You will learn things that you never heard of, like how Paul used a chicken training camp to learn how to train dogs. That's right, if you can train a chicken, well, you can train a dog, and it's pretty neat. You will also hear how the science is rooted in kindness and compassion and the magic of a 45-second rule. This is a fascinating conversation. I get into a little detail about my dogs, Kang Denru, and we learn a lot of things that you can apply with your own dogs, even if they've been trained in some other methodology. Sit back, enjoy this conversation with Paul Owens. Paul Owens, thank you for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. The original dog whisperer. That is quite a mantle. (laughs) Well, you know, you got to come up with something. And uh, when we wrote the first book, we were trying to come up with a title. And uh, representative for Simon & Schuster says, well, people are really getting into this horse whispering thing. So you got to call it the dog whisperer. And we said, Oh, what the heck? Okay. Okay. So it was born in like some New York, uh, publishing office and they, they, they came up with that term. And this was, what year was that? Oh, gee whiz. 99, maybe 2000, right around 2000. I think it was. Okay. And then a few years later, a guy named Cesar Milan came out. And mm-hmm. and use that name. What your what, what were your first thoughts when you encountered Caesar? Well, the very first thing was I, I wonder what kind of methods he uses. Mm-hmm. It turns out that the methods were what I used to use back in the seventies, and so uh, there was a big, as you can imagine, uh, discussion on the airwaves and uh, social media about well, a how could they use the term, and then b uh, wait a minute, this doesn't represent what the, at least in, from their perception, uh, it didn't represent what the uh, kind, compassionate met- methodology that dog whispering is supposed to represent. So when Caesar Milan came out with Dog Whisper, what were you thinking? Uh, the, the very first thought that crossed our minds was, well, how did that happen? <laughs> and the second thought was, uh, well, let's let's see what the methodology is. is. Is it rooted in kindness and compassion without violence, without punishment? Uh, and it turns out it, it was different than what we do. Matter of fact, uh, the methodology which is exhibited on those programs is stuff that's been around for 
geez, 100 years or so. And as a matter of fact, I did those methods uh, back in the 60s and 70s because that's how I was taught. I think it comes down to uh, basically two things. One is called forced training, which uses negative methods in order to get the dog to do something or to stop doing something versus what we do, which is called force-free. And force-free simply means you never correct the dog. You correct the dog's behavior. Uh, to give a quick example so that it makes it accessible to everybody, mm -hmm. it was something that I was uh, introduced to. And that is, imagine you have a child that's cranning on the walls. The parent has two choices. One choice is you can threaten the child and punish the child. And sure enough, that child won't cran on the walls. But the other method is you can put the crans away. So now the child can't cran on the walls. And then later on in the day, you bring out the paper and the coloring books and you proactively teach that behavior mm -hmm. until it becomes a habit. And the child over time thinks, wow, I can get my parents to do whatever the heck I want. All I got to do is get that coloring book and cran inside the lines. Woohoo! And they, they get really excited about it. And it's the same thing in dog training. You can teach a dog to stop jumping and to stop running out the door and to stop barking and do all that stuff. Or you can set up the environment so that behavior doesn't manifest. And you say, listen here, I would like you to sit instead of jump. I would like you to run to your bed and lie down instead of run out the door. So it's all a matter of A, prevention, setting your dog up to be successful so you don't have to correct them, and then B, teach them to do something else. Let's talk about this evolution in, in, in training methods. As you said, the other one had been around for well over 100 years. I remember, I'm not 100 years old, but I remember when I got my first dog, oh, I'm going to be dutiful. I'm going to go to the dog training school, and I was introduced to a choke collar, and, yep. and, uh, and uh, I thought, well, that seems rough, but, and then I was assured this is the way to do it. You have to do it this way. So when did that shift occur? And is it, is, is that other method still being utilized widely today? Negative training, uh, punishment uh, rooted training is been around for a long time and it is still around. Uh, I don't know what the percentages is. I'm guessing it's probably up to 50, 50 now mm -hmm. where uh, positive force-free training is coming to the fore. Uh, but the major change came, I would say, in the mid-80s, mid to late 80s. A woman by the name of Karen Pryor wrote a book called Don't Shoot the Dog. And she used to be an animal trainer at the Sea Worlds. And then she wrote this book about the psychology of how you can get an animal to do what you want without having to use punishment. And then the dog training community locked onto that. Uh, and then it just kept growing. As a matter of fact, uh, when, when I heard about it, and it was just getting to be about 1988, uh, I went to chicken training camp, which oh, was uh, <laughs> a, a wonderful trainer by the name of Terry Ryan. I uh, had chicken training camps, and she said, if you can learn to train a chicken, you can train anything. So it was and just, it was sure like, enough, you, I, so that was the whole purpose of chicken training camp is to... That's exactly right, because she was a dog trainer. And if you want to get really skilled at training your dog and watching the most minute <laughs> movements, because they're communicating to you, and you learn to recognize those minute movements, well, watch a chicken. <laughs> so bird brains to dog brains. Yeah, there you go. That's That's... And I trained my chicken to run up a ramp, ring a bell, come down, take a bow. And uh, I said, well, if I can do this, well, maybe I can uh, get better at this new newfangled force-free training. So I became an expert 
at negative training, and then I became an expert at positive training. And it's really, obviously, because one doesn't really need that many trained chickens in the world, but it's just an analogy. It's it's a way to learn on a micro level how to train a dog. The, the whole science of operant and classical conditioning, Pavlov and Skinner, it's, it's just behavior. That's all it is. I wrote a booklet a few years ago about how to grow a behavior because all they are are neurons in our heads and in our dog's heads and dogs have the cognitive ability of a two to four year old child. There's a dog that just passed away with a wonderful dog in Great Britain by the name of Chaser who knew the name of a thousand different toys. You know, how, what children do you know? What, what adult do you know that knows a thousand different toys? Dogs that know how to count up to 10. You say, how many toys are in that tray? And the dog turns around and pushes a, a little piece of paper with four dots on it. Well, there's four dots. There's four dogs. dogs on it. People have no concept about how smart these dogs are because dogs have the same cognitive ability, the same way of figuring things out. It's just the science behind it. Connect the neurons. And you get enough neurons together, you got a behavior. How many neurons does it take to screw in a light bulb? Well, about 10,000 and uh, a couple of million connections. And that's all it is. That's the science. That's why you don't have to use punishment. You said you started in the 60s training. And I and clearly there was a, a, a point, sometimes it sounds like it was in the 80s or late 80s, when you had a, a shift in consciousness about the way you approach yep. dog training. Tell me about that. I got away from dog training for a couple of years, traveling around the world and, and studying. And uh, my brother called me and said, I got a new dog and all he does is bark. Can you come by and help me out? I said, sure. So we put a choke collar on the dog because I've been doing that for 14 years. And as soon as the dog barked, I yanked him on the leash and the dog stopped barking, but I just threw the leash down. I said, what the heck am I doing? It turned out I had a change in consciousness and uh, I remember in my in my head, I said, this is no way to treat a family member and a friend. I got to learn something new. And so that's what I did. I went back to school to learn force-free training that you don't have to use punishment. It was chest tightening to think uh, for 14 years, I had been treating a dog like dogs like that. I was very successful in 75. I had a dog who eventually went on to become nationally recognized for how obedient she was. She wasn't trained with treats. She was trained with leash corrections and choke collars and pinning a dog to the ground and all of that stuff. And as I tell this, my chest still tightens as anybody that's been around here for uh, all these decades, we all have the exact same story mm -hmm. until finally we said, you know, this, there's gotta be a better way. We're uh, waxing philosophical here for a second, but uh, if we're so, so great as human beings and we're intelligent and we're intuitive and we're creative, there should be another way to get a dog to put their butt on the floor instead of run out the door without having to hit them or yell at them. It took me three years to learn this new fangled way of teaching the dog to do stuff. Uh, I went to every seminar, read every book on psychology that I could about, well, how, what is the science behind this? Why, why can't we do this? So it was a combination of when, when people ask me uh, to answer your question long-windedly here, but when people say, well, what is dog whispering to you? I said, well, it's science rooted in kindness and compassion. So you went on this odyssey uh, to learn a better method. Where did you go first and how did you discover that? Uh, one of the things I did is typed in nonviolent dog training on my computer. Okay. <laughs> then I started reaching out to other people and somebody introduced me to Don't Shoot the Dog, the uh, seminal book on, on the scientific way to uh, 
uh, train or to uh, obtain behaviors, not only with humans, with, with animals. And that led me to other books. And then I signed up for classes in neurobiology and psychology. And again, there was nothing out there. And uh, you really had to hunt for it. But as time has gone by, there's been more and more. And now there's you know, tens of thousands, which is a blessing. And of course, you've contributed to the body of work with you've written three best-selling books on, on the subject, right? Two best-selling books. And uh, it's just been a blessing for me. As a matter of fact, when that happened, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine and she said, well, you know, I've, I've helped a couple of people write some books. Uh, why don't you write a book about this? I said, oh, all right. <laughs> so you, you never know. When it's your time, it's your time. And that's, that's what happened. And we've been really blessed. It's still on the market. And we've reached, uh, gee whiz, more than 600,000 people around the world just with the books and the DVDs and millions of people with the books, DVDs, seminars, and, and uh, podcasts. Your clients, I'm really kind of, I just can't imagine the transformation that you had, how quickly it occurred and what your clients at the time must have thought. Because like one day you're like, well, this is the way you do it. And then the next day you start looking for new methods. How was that? Uh, for the clients that I had previously that I taught with force training, mm -hmm. uh, with, with punishment, who called me back and I said, well, I'm not teaching that anymore. They were very grateful uh -huh. uh, because most people don't like conflict. And if you're training a dog with punishment, you've got conflict. Hmm. And one of the blessings for me was me going into schools and working with third, fourth, fifth graders. And I would take my Portuguese water dog or my big 110 pound golden. And, and you know, James, there's always children that are afraid of dogs. Mm -hmm. And you know, anybody who listens to this is going to be able to relate to this. So the first thing I do is tell everybody that my dogs are really friendly and they like children. But what I'd like you to do is take this treat and throw Grady, he was my golden, for example, this big, huge dog, just say, find it and throw him a treat up at the beginning of the classroom. And the child who is afraid of dogs says, well, I'm 10 feet away, so I guess I'm okay. Yeah. Throws the treat up and this big dog takes the treat. And that's when the magic happens. There's something in inside the child that all of a sudden opens up and said, Mother Nature just accepted this gift. And all it was was the dog taking the treat. And the number one remedy, and this is the, now we go into the science part of that. I mean, that's just a thrill. I mean, I've done it many years. But the science behind it is you opened up a, a faucet in the child's head that is a feel-good faucet of all these wonderful endorphins, all the dopamine, all the oxytocin, all the serotonin. And the reason that opened up is because of curiosity. And as soon and curiosity, the way it was explained to me, is the number one remedy for fear. It's the number one remedy for aggression. If you can get a child curious about something, then they want to learn it rather than run away from it. And if you do that in a very safe way so that the dog feels safe and the child feels safe and we feel safe, well, then the sky's the limit. Anything can happen. The name of the program that you did with the kids is Pause for Peace. That's correct. And do you still do that? I don't. Uh, I am affiliated with a dear friend of mine. Uh, her name is Kelly, and she has a program called the Canine Youth Association, or Alliance, rather, Canine Youth Alliance. And she works with at-risk children with dogs that uh, need rescuing. And uh, I do a lot of work with that, but 
because of my time constraints now, I, I don't have a program for that. If people were saying, well, what's the value of that? I said, listen, if you can get a 110 pound dog with big old teeth with a head like a bear to sit, lie down and stay and come and find trees without having to hit them or kick them or shock them or jerk them or threaten them, imagine what you can do with your young brother. Well, there you go. It's, it's a way of getting kids to totally relate to that. But I understand you never ask a dog to do something unless you're 90% sure that he's going to do it. So the, the idea is, is that if you were learning to speak a new language, Chinese, and you told me, Paul, please have a, a seat in Chinese, I'd look at you and say, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so then the person would say, I told you, and start yelling at me, I told you to go sit in Chinese. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't, don't speak and that's Chinese. what people do with dogs. Sit, <sighs> sit, sit. I started, don't you speak English? Uh, dog says, no, I don't. I speak dog. <laughs> right. But if I demonstrated, or the person, the person who was speaking Chinese demonstrated and walked over to the chair and pointed to the chair and demonstrated it and pointed and smiled, and I, oh, you want me to sit in the chair? And then they added the phrase, well, then I would know what the phrase meant. Otherwise, all you're doing is speaking, well, Chinese, or you're, the old saying is you're just speaking Greek to me. I have no idea what you're talking about. But if you teach the behavior first, and then you label it, then it makes sense. And that's how we learn as children. On average, how long does it take to teach a, a specific skill? If you're going to make a... a a statement about dogs, 99% uh, of, well, that's too high, 90% of the dogs I see uh, will sit, lie down, stay, come, uh, go to their bed, find it, leave it within a, a one-hour session. But that won't be reliable. Once again, now we're back to the neurons connecting for two to 12 months. That's just the science behind it. If you're learning to play an instrument, if you're learning to speak a new language, so to make How it, long does it take? so to make it yep. reliable, they have to practice over and over again. Yep, until it becomes part of who you are. And I'm imagining that's where the patience comes in on the part of the person who's training the dog. One one of the things, James, that I introduce people to uh, is the 45 second rule. I've noticed anecdotally that it takes humans and dogs an average of 45 seconds to check their Rolodex. Now, I can't use the word Rolodex anymore because nobody knows what a Rolodex is, but to check all their brain memories, all their pathways to see whether or not they have anything to relate to. And so while, while dogs process, while we process, we fidget. We might drum our fingers, tap our toes, blink a lot, lick our lips. Uh, if, if, uh, we might chew hair. If I had hair, I might chew it. And so that's, that's what we do while we're processing. You cannot repeat the signal within that 45 second period while you're processing because then your brain has to reboot. If I said, James, what is the name of that actor that was in that movie that got the Oscar for that? And then I said, James, what is the name of that actor? James, what is the name of the actor? James, what are they? You'd punch me in the suit. <laughs> Wait, you've, been, you've been in our house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's on YouTube. I've seen you. So you have to give yourself, you have to give your dogs, you have to give your children up to 45 seconds for the brain to figure it out. And if it can't, then you go back a grade level. So every time the dog is trying to process something and looks at you, I say, good. Good is worth 50 cents. And the dog says, good's only worth 50 cents. Where's the $10,000 piece of chicken? Yeah. But good will keep them working. And that's what you do with children. 
You can get it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You're on the right path. That's encouragement. And what that does scientifically is that keeps the dopamine in the system. That keeps the neurons connecting until all of a sudden you get a mind pop. And that is the scientific term for it. All of a sudden it pops into your head. Oh, that's what you want. Oh, that's, that's the way the brain want. works. Okay. So just repeat good in that eternal yeah, 45 yeah, seconds until the dog registers encourage. it. And then if they don't say we're at, you know, it's like a minute now and the dog ain't doing what you want it to do. You go down a level. So That's describe exactly that process. Correct. What That's does that exactly mean? Exactly correct. For example, if you're teaching the dog to sit, the dog said, I really can't get this. Well, you do a baby step. You watch the body. And if the body goes down, oh, an eighth of an inch, you go, hey, that was pretty good. Here's some money. Mm-hmm. You might put your hand up over the dog's nose and the dog looks up and the butt goes down a little bit more. He said, wow, that was really great. Here's some more money. And then the neurons start connecting. 99% of learning is unconscious. You don't have to stand by the tomato plant 24 hours a day and tell it how great it's doing and water it and fertilize it. You don't have to water and fertilize a behavior 24 hours a day. All you have to do is plant the seed. And just like Mother Nature grows the tomato, Mother Nature will grow that behavior. That's it. 99% of learning is unconscious. Mother Nature does it all. On that note, Paul, I think this is a good time to take a short break and pay some bills and keep our sponsors happy. But when we return, I want to talk to you about how different breeds stack up against one another in terms of the learning process. This is The Long Leash. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. It's a strange thing to do, sprinkle this powder on my food, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My time with you is precious and irreplaceable, and I'm thrilled to be with you for as long as possible. Here's to puppy playtime and senior snoozes. (laughs) No matter how old I get, I want my ever pup. It just makes me feel good in this life and the next, and the next, and the next. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. We are speaking with Paul Owens, the original dog whisperer. Paul, it seems that some dog breeds are smarter than others. Why is that? It depends on the behavior. For example, you have a northern breed and you want you say, I want you to sit. Dog says, why? My job is to pull a sled. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, what about a, 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 a hound whose nose is always on the ground? And you're trying to say, sit, stay. Hound is saying, no, my job is to hunt. 
you have a golden retriever, say, sit down, stay, come, go to your bed, find it, leave it, says, okay, I can do it all. I'm, I'm a jack of all trades. It all depends on the breed. And so when they talk about intelligence, if you're going to say in generality, you've got the poodles up there and you got those, those, uh, those wickedly cute the border collies and, hey, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Hey, you want me to do something else here? Uh, but you know, a greyhound uh, and a bloodhound, they're not used to that or they're, they're not interested in that. But you can find out what will motivate a dog and they can all do something, some better than others. Okay, so I have two Maltese. One, I think, gets it a little bit more than the other. Am I wrong? I will bet you. By the way, are they cute? Oh, yeah, kind of adorable. Kanga well, and Rue. But Kanga's a little bit more cute than than Rue, and she's the one who I think is smarter. So it's all... Kangaroo? We have Kanga. We, we, we had Kanga, and then we rescued another Maltese by the name of Rue. That's... And we changed her name from um, <clears throat> Tinkerbell to Rue because it just was too cute. That's that's just beyond adorable. Uh, I will bet you when you go home because of this conversation, you're going to find out uh, which, which one seems to be the sharper tack. Kanga. Okay. I will bet you that Rue does something better than Kanga does. And you just haven't noticed it yet. She's very much better at manipulating my wife and I into doing there things. There you go. So now who's smarter? Okay. Okay. Well, sometimes I, I think we are basically at their disposal to do the things that, you know, like yeah. they want. Well, you're, 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 you're a great dog parent. <laughs> Evolution from the old method to the new method. You say now they're about 50, it's about 50, 50 in terms across the board. What do you think about? I'm guessing. What That's do you, just a guess. What yeah. do you think about things like, um, clicker training and and gosh there's just so many different things it seems like it's become a highly commercialized industry of dog training yes i still use clicker training myself and all a clicker is is a signal to the dog that money's on the way because they just did something that you liked that's all it is and ideally a click would happen for instance the dog uh put their butt on the floor and you would click or say the word good within two one hundredths of a second. That's all a clicker is. It teaches you dog speed. And, and so if you can identify the behavior that you want immediately, then you have a couple of seconds to actually give them a $10,000 reward. So a clicker just marks the behavior and tells you, yep, money's on the way. Hold on a second. Uh, I am a fan of it, except for the fact that I, after a while, in teaching it in classes, uh, people were saying, you know, I got a leash in one hand. I got a clicker in another hand. I got treats over here. I got my dog over here. Is there uh, an easier way? And I say, yeah, just say the word good. So I teach people dog speed uh, of saying the word good uh, until they get good at it. And then they can use it for a clicker if they want. But you're, you're right. Uh, this is an industry. And I, my bottom line is, Whatever you do, whatever you think, whatever you say, just make, take a second, you know, take a step back and make sure everything you think you would say is rooted in kindness and compassion for your dog. And then you'll be okay. Good. 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 Yeah, that was very good. good. I'm, I'm practicing. I'm practicing. And so it's not good girl, good boy. It's just good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You, you say, yeah, you can say good job or good job. yay you. Good job. Uh, yeah. Whatever. You, you've got feel-good chemicals going through your body. That's why we have dogs. 
Okay, let's talk about, we get into science of that. Let's talk about some of those feel-good chemicals, those endorphins. Um, is that what they're picking up? Because dogs are awfully good at, at smelling things. Their noses are, what, 10,000 times better than us. Are, do you suspect they're able to to smell those happy uh, uh, brain chemicals we're, we're creating when we say good? It's going through their bodies, number one. It's making them feel good. It's, it's They're having fun, play, dopamine. Oh, this is super duper and everything. But to answer your question, I believe there was, if there's any professional dog trainers that'll be listening to this, you know, get in touch with me. But I think there was a study that they proved that dogs could smell what chemicals were going through a human's body in a closed room from 30 feet away. <laughs> And they associate those particular endorphins, those particular feel-good or, or stress hormones uh, going through the body with how you act. Uh, a lot, and I'll give you a quick example of that. My dog knows they did something wrong because they're acting guilty. Well, they're not acting guilty because dogs don't feel guilt. What they're, feel guilt. What they're doing is acting submissive because you changed your body language. Your breathing got tight. Your face got tight. Your muscles got tight. And all of a sudden, the dog gets yelled at. The dog says, what are you talking about? I just submitted to you. Why are you yelling at me? But that has to do with what's going on in their brain because of what went in their nose. So, yes, they smell it. Uh, just like God bless those dogs that are smelling cancer. And I believe now they've got a couple of dogs that can smell COVID. They do. They do. So... It seems like we have to be able to have better hold of our own emotions if we're going to try to tra uh, train our dogs more effectively. Good. Good. That's that's what it is. <laughs> is it? And that's I'm going to exactly right. And I'm going to ninety nine percent of dog training is human training. And I'm going to get people this... have to learn how to speak dog. Ah, okay. So let's do it. Let's do a quick primer in speaking dog. My dog's friendly because they're wagging the tail. A professional dog trainer will say, it isn't because the dog is wagging their tail. It's at what speed, at what tension, at what position. The dog might be wagging their tail saying, you come another step closer and I'm gonna, you're going to be calling you yourself lefty. You, know, it, it's, you have to recognize not only what's going on with the tail, with the ears, with the eyes, with the mouth. You know, a smiling dog all of a sudden closes their dog and their body gets tense. And you're going, okay, what's got their attention? And if that dog has a uh, history of aggression, you don't want to keep coming forward because the tail was wagging a, a couple of minutes ago, but now the dog is acting this way. So there's a classic example of learning body language. Just learn the recognition of tail, learn of the, of the tail language, learn the recognition of what acceptable distance is. We've learned because of COVID, zero to six feet, that's personal space. Six to 20 feet is social space. 20 feet to 100 yards is public space. So I hate clowns. If you're going to get me to like a clown, no offense to the clowns in the audience. But, uh, we have a lot of clowns like, in our audience. You're, no, we you're don't. You're going to start at 100 yards with me. And every time that clown shows up, you're going to give me $1,000. And then over time, that clown can get closer. Some dogs react to one dog better than another dog. Yeah. And so you have to individualize each reaction and say, okay, I have to stay across the street from that dog because my dog's a little nervous about that dog. But this other dog, I can just walk three feet in front of him. 
It's just like us. We like some people. We don't like others. I like everybody, of course. So I want to dive deeper into this whole watching the dog's body language. Yeah. Um, is there a Rosetta Stone for this? Is there is there some sort of uh, uh, glossary that we can look to to say like this? Oh, this means that. There are thousands of books on dog body language and there are posters about it and there's teachers that give seminars about it uh if you really want to just get an introduction to it hire a professional dog trainer that's been around a little bit because they've read the books and they've watched the videos and they've gone to the seminars and they'll give you something very simple just like i did of watching the tail and just as that as a foot in the door so to speak that will get people more interested and then they'll go and find the videos and find the books. Now, getting back to controlling our own emotions, which it sounds like at the end of the day, it's pivotal to this success. What tips do you have for that? Breathe. Breathe. You know, when we were kids, uh, a lot of us had parents that, okay, just take a breath, relax and everything. Well, I got into yoga. And uh, then there's dozens of breathing exercises. And one of the simple breathing exercises, just breathe in and breathe out, you know, at the same length of time and do three breaths. And what that does is has a scientific uh, reaction is that you're oxygenating the blood. You're stepping back from the thing that's stressing you out, which is causing you to act this way. And every, before every single class, I do breathing exercises which kind of is, uh, they use a term called centering for, for just about everything, but it centers yourself. It gets all of you together so you can do that. If people want to watch what it is that I do and what I suggest my clients do, because I teach every client that I go to how to breathe, and then you use it with your significant other, you use it with your kids and everything, uh, go to my website. It's, it's a free video. It's called Focus. Uh, I would say that is the number one uh, foot in the door to bringing yourself together so that you're not so disparate in your emotions. Again, we'll put the link in the show notes. Tell me about Molly. Oh, God bless her. Uh, I was t speaking with your, uh, oh heck, I got a mind like a sieve anymore. <laughs> the seventies, it's a great decade. You know, it's, <laughs> it's no better decade on, on getting along in the world, but your memory becomes a sieve. You know, I don't. I, I actually forgot my twin sister's name one time. You know, wow. Sorry, Pam. So long as you didn't forget uh, her birthday. Yeah. <laughs> now, wouldn't that be something? Uh, so, what were you just talking about? So, tell me, I, I, the, when I was doing my research on you and I was sniffing out information about you, I discovered this amazing video and a, a eulogy to Molly. Uh, Molly, uh, I was living in Florida, and uh, Molly was going to be the first. Uh, my second real dog that I was going to raise. And I, I, I went to a person's home who had a litter and all these puppies would run up to me, except for this little puppy out in the corner. And uh, I said, well, what about that little puppy over there? He said, well, there, there's something wrong with her. And I said, well, let me say hello. And so this puppy had some serious problems of fear. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's the one I want. Uh, because who else is going to take a puppy besides a professional dog trainer and give, give it a chance? 
And she ended up being petted by over 5,000 children going through my children's programs. She went blind at the age of, now I'm going to start tearing up, but she went blind at the age of, of uh, about nine or 10. Uh, and she didn't care. She lived to be 17 years old. And uh, she was the one that really turned things around for me about how to change how you feel in one situation. It doesn't mean that you're locked into that for the rest of your life, just like she did. Yeah, she, she showed me that fear uh, is something that you can overcome and confidence and having fun in life. She, she taught me a lot about being human <laughs> with the way uh, she taught me about what, what, what a dog was and having fun in life and saying, hey, just treat me kind, keep me safe, and uh, I'll reward you to the nth degree. And so if people, people want to see this because I realize I'm coming out a little disjointed here, but uh, watch the eulogy. And that says more than anything. It's a it's a beautiful, touching video. And uh, uh, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Please. It reminds me yeah. of a, a video um, that I did for my blind, my, my, dog, okay. my senior dog who went blind later in life. And it turned out many years ago to be, it's called, do you remember love? And it turned out it was like, it went, the video went viral before YouTube existed, no kidding. but it was, it's really powerful how these senior dogs can have such a deep impact on us. And I'm curious about the blindness. Um, when a dog goes blind later in life, how much of the prior training do they rely on to you know, to basically be a, a good dog. You know, I've done a lot of these podcasts and you're the first person to ask that. That's a great question. Uh, when she went blind, she remembered every single behavior. And even though she couldn't find treats, for example, with her eyes anymore, mm -hmm. her nose took over because, you know, that's the most powerful organ in the dog's body. Anyhow, she would still retrieve she would still find things that I hid someplace else. There wasn't a behavior she couldn't do. Uh, walking by your side is called healing. And so the, what she did there is she just touched her head next to my knee. And that was her way of knowing that she was in position. And so as she got older, uh, I didn't ask her to do squat. <laughs> <laughs> right. I always say, you know. Uh, you've earned your retirement. You, you've earned your retirement. But uh she was 16 and she had a year left in her life. And uh, I hadn't asked her, for example, to take a bow. And when you watch the video, one of the tricks she does is she goes into that play bow position. And I had I literally, I never asked her to do it for, for six years. And I said, take a bow. God bless that muscle memory. She did it anyhow. And uh, so I think we always remember stuff. And it's, it was just a joy. And like I said, she taught me more about being a human than uh, any human did. So Except my twin sister, Pam. And when you know her birthday. <laughs> yeah, what is that? Uh, you should, you should, oh, put that, you should put that in your Rolodex. I should, right? That's funny stuff. <laughs> so final thoughts, things that you want people to remember about this dichotomy of, you know, if we live in a world where there's 50-50, 50% of the people are training dogs the old way and 50% are training dogs the new way, what would you say to advocate for your methodology and considering your evolution? I firmly believe that all learning is a step-by-step -step process, but people start with curiosity. 
and say, okay, I'll check into it. And then they see it and then they experiment with it and then they can do it. And then it's real. I tell all of my clients that don't believe me. I said, just watch what I'm doing. If what I'm doing matches the words and then you do it and it matches that the dog's still doing the behavior, then it's real for you. Don't live off of my experiences, live off of your own. So the first question, just uh, uh, the, the first answer to that question is be curious, check it out and make it real for you. And I think that the feel good chemicals, the faucets in everybody who's practicing this are gonna be wide open and that's gonna be their reward. Son of a gun, I didn't know my dog could do that. And then they get a little bit more curious. And then you really have a son of a gun. This is a family member. This is a living, breathing, sentient being and a member of my family. And I think it all starts with the curiosity. Paul Owens, thank you so much. You've been very good. <laughs> thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you very much, James. I appreciate it. And thank you, Pam. I learned so much from talking with Paul Owens. He is amazing. Such an interesting life. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Dog Podcast Network is a new fledgling podcasting network for dog lovers. And we really want to create programs and shows that you want to listen to. And hopefully that you'll talk about with your other dog loving friends. So we need your feedback. Did you like today's show or did you not like today's show? What could have been better? Or what types of people would you like to hear on future episodes of The Long Leash? Get in touch with us. There's so many ways to do that. You can do that through social media. If you really want the most direct way is go to our website, which is simply dogpodcastnetwork.com. Reach out to us that way. Also on any of the pages on dogpodcastnetwork.com that are related to the show, like The Long Leash, there is a little blue microphone icon in the lower right-hand side. If you click that blue microphone icon, you can leave us a voicemail. Now, we may use that voicemail on one of our shows, whether it's The Long Leash or Dog Edition or Dog Cancer Answers, and we really do want to hear from you. So please consider letting us know what you think and being a part of our community. Subscribe to The Long Leash in your favorite podcast app, and whether that's Apple or Google, or follow us on Spotify. We're also on YouTube, where wherever you want to listen to podcasts, please subscribe and tell a friend. Thanks for listening. I'm James Jacobson. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, we wish you and your dog a very warm aloha.